All right, take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to Romans chapter 7. We have now been in Romans for a number of weeks, and we're about to crack into what is easily one of the most debated and controversial chapters in this entire book. So I'm excited to start to get into this with you guys. Romans chapter 7, we have a short text today. We're just reading the first six verses. Let me read this to us. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking of those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us this morning as we get into this. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the truth of your Holy Scripture. And we do pray this morning, Father, that you would speak to our hearts. Uh, God, interpret your word and open our ears that we might not only hear it and understand it and perceive it, but that we also might do it, that we might put your truth into practice in our lives as we seek to follow you with our whole being. We love you. We thank you for your goodness. And uh, it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, quick show of hands. How many of you guys would consider yourselves to be rule followers, just in general? Rule followers, rule breakers. Couple, Diana, I like it. I'm, I'm definitely like a rule breaker, especially when I get in the car, as my, life, my wife will tell you. Uh, several uh, years ago, we were on a road trip to Dallas. I think we were in Texas somewhere, and we got stuck in this traffic jam. And, you know, we sat there forever. And eventually, I was just like, this is dumb. And I just pulled off into the median and crossed over to the service road. And, and Lindsay, the whole time, is going, what are you doing? Like, you, you, you can't, like, and I'm like, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And, like, no sooner had I said, it's fine, that, woo, woo, like, the lights come on behind us, and of course I get a ticket, and I get the I told you so look from my wife. For some reason, when I get in the car, uh, it, I, the rules kind of go out the window. I don't know why. I used to, uh, I used to have a pastor uh, at one of the churches in Dallas that we were at that I worked with, and he was a great guy, but if you got in the car with him, it was like he turned into a different person. And suddenly, like, he would be, like, yelling at people on the road, and you were, you know, more on this, and he'd be, like, it was just, it was like a different person suddenly. And um, he had read a book at some point in time, and the book had encouraged, 
its readers to like ask their family, like, when, when in my life do you see Jesus come out? And, and when in my life do you not see Jesus come out? And so he'd asked his family this around dinner, and he asked them, when, do you, when in my life do you see me like doing the opposite of what you think Jesus would do? And they said, when you're driving, right? So for some of us, we are like naturally predisposed to be following the law for others. For whatever reason, we have some kind of malfunction within us that thinks we know better or thinks that there's another route that we can take or a better path that we can take and everything's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. As we've been journeying through the book of Romans, Paul has talked a great deal about the rules. He's talked a great deal about the law. Uh, This has been true from the very beginning of this book because he really kind of starts out by reminding his readers that we are all sinners, right? That we are all people who have a hard time obeying. Um, We have a hard time following God. We have a hard time being faithful people, loyal people. That is not just true of some of us. That is true of all of us. We have all sinned, he said. We've all fallen short of God's glory. There are none who are righteous, not even one. That includes me. That includes you. That includes everybody. And, and today he continues down this road of talking about the law. He's told his Jewish readers already. And by the way, his, his readers are Christians living in the city of Rome. This, this letter was not just written to the entire city of Rome. It's to Christians living in the city. But that group included both Jews who had grown up following the law of Moses and Gentiles who had never followed like the written code of Judaism, the code that we find in the first five books of our Bible. And so he continues digging into this topic of the law, and today we see it even more. And it's possible that as we read through today's text that you got to the end of that and you heard it, but you didn't really hear it, right? And and that's true in a lot of the writing of Paul. You read these passages and they can be so dense and wordy and circuitous that you get to the end of it and you go, I read that, but I have no clue what I just read. Like, I don't, I don't, I heard it, but I don't know what I just heard. And, and one of the things that you should, should take some comfort in if that's you is that it's not just you. In fact, Paul's writing was confusing to readers even in his day. Um, we find out in the New Testament that even some of the other apostles struggled sometimes to understand what Paul was talking about. So for us, Gentiles, like people who didn't grow up in a first century Jewish context, living 2,000 plus years later, it can be really difficult for us to fully understand not only what Paul's saying, but what he's saying specifically about the law. And again, this law here that he's talking about is not just law in general. He's talking about the law, the law of Moses, the law that God gave to the Israelite people through his prophet Moses when they were in the wilderness. Moses, if you've ever seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, Moses goes up on the mountain. He receives not just the Ten Commandments, but ultimately over time, the entire law, which included a host of things, not just those moral laws that we find in the Ten Commandments, but also dietary laws and and laws about relationships and laws about cleanness and uncleanness. It was dense and it was... um, in many ways, there was a lot of fine print. And so the law itself could be confusing to people. 
And what's interesting here as we read through today's text is that as Paul's talking about all of this, what can be confusing to us, and it's confusing to many people, is that it can sound as if Paul starts to like denounce the law or as, he, as if he starts to speak negatively about the law. And this is confusing to contemporary readers, and it was confusing to people in his day because of the way that we think about God. God is the creator of all things, and, and, and the way that we think about God is he spoke things into existence, and he's the God that stepped back and like looked at what he had made and said it was good. So our basic theology of God is that God does not make mistakes. And so here is the law that God wrote, right? Literally, it says the finger of God wrote what was on the tablets of the Ten Commandments. So here is the law that God wrote and handed down to his people. And yet it almost sounds like Paul saying that it was a bad thing or or that it caused people to sin. Look at verses five and six, for example. Verse five says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Wait, so somehow the law is arousing our sin? Wait, isn't the law supposed to like keep us from sinning? Isn't the law somehow supposed to protect us? And here Paul says, it's like stirring up our, our flesh. It's stirring up our sinful passions And it's ultimately going to bear fruit for death. Are you saying that God gave something to his people that was going to bring about their sin? He goes on, look at verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. The law, he says, held us captive. Isn't God all about freedom and grace? So so why does Paul say that this thing that God gave the people was actually a source of captivity to them? Does that make sense to you? Well, guys, the truth is, as I said earlier, this chapter is one of the most debated and contentious chapters in the entire book of Romans. Paul's train of thought can be difficult to follow. As we said, you wouldn't be alone in feeling like you need to read things over and over again to get the gist. And that's particularly true starting in verse 7 of this chapter, which we'll get to next week. But as a result of this, there are at least three uh, biblically faithful and relevant and applicable possible understandings of what Paul is talking about in this chapter. And a good bit of the confusion here comes not simply from how Paul talks about the law, but also how he talks about himself. As we'll see over the next couple of weeks, Paul ultimately um, will get to the point where he says, I don't do the things I know I should do. At one point he says, there's nothing good in me. And, and his, his readers and us were going, wait a second, You've just spent all this time talking about the fact that we're all depraved, that we all struggle with sin, we've all fallen short, but the free gift of God is this justification that's offered through Christ, right? That, That this incredible gift that God gives to us, Paul says, is the fact that Jesus, through his death, has 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 like purchased us. 
And the result of that is that we can now be made right before God. Our sins no longer have to separate us from God. And then he moves into the section we're in now where he says, and not only that, not only are we made right before God, but, but he is also renewing us in this life. He's sanctifying us. So when you think about justification, justification is something that has already taken place on your behalf. Like you have been made right before a holy God, even though you are not right right? Even, even though you don't deserve that, even though you've done nothing to earn it, through Christ's death and resurrection, you have been made right. Sanctification is something that's happening now in the present moment. It's a process. You are being conformed to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit working in you as you follow Jesus in your life, you are hopefully changing. As we've said before, hopefully you are a different person today than you were at this time last year. And hopefully that forward motion is happening for you as you take steps deeper and deeper into faith in Christ. And you allow yourself to be changed by Him. So Paul has talked about all of this like freedom that comes from slavery to Christ rather than slavery to sin. And yet we get into chapter 7, and later in verse 15 he says, I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So, wait, wait, what? Right? If we're free from sin, then why do you say things that sound like you're being controlled by sin, Paul? Now listen, we know that Christians still struggle with sin, even if we're no longer enslaved to sin, sin is no longer our only master. We have a new master that we serve, and that new master has given us his spirit so that we no longer have to be in servitude to sin. Before Christ, our only option is sin. Our only master can be sin. So when Paul claims to not do what he wants, we have to ask this question. When Paul says that, is he talking about the old Paul? Like the murderous pharisaical Paul? Or is he talking about the new Paul? Is he talking about the regenerate, Christ-following, Holy Spirit-filled Paul? In other words, is he describing like a normal Christian experience of feeling out of control regarding sin? Or is he describing the experience of like a lost person? Or is it none of the above? And in order to figure out our answer to that question, we have to first break down today's text and explore verses 1 through 6 and figure out what he's saying about the law. Let me show you a picture. Um, this is G.K. Chesterton. Easily the most British-looking person I've ever seen in my life, right? Look at those teeth. Uh, G.K. Chesterton was a really famous author uh, in England in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He wrote all kinds of things. He was a journalist. He wrote books of theology. Uh, if you're a nerd like me and watch PBS, uh, maybe you've seen the Father Brown mystery shows on PBS. He, so he wrote mystery novels uh, back in the day about a Catholic priest who solved murders. Uh, so really fascinating guy, uh, G.K. Chesterton. And um, Christian scholar Will Timmons retells this story about him. There's a famous story involving Chesterton, where a, a newspaper in Britain had published this headline that asked the question, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote a letter to the newspaper, and here was his letter. Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? I am. This was his response. 
And in many ways, I think that's exactly the point that Paul is making here. The problem is not so much the law itself. The problem is us. The problem is our sin. In many ways, you could say this is the point he's been making from the very beginning in this book. That we are all slaves to sin. And when a slave to sin encounters the law, there are a few things that happen. First of all, the law reveals your sin, doesn't it? Like, if there is no law, then how do you know what's right and wrong? So so when you encounter the law, you actually encounter your own sin. Paul will go on to say, hey, I'm very thankful for the law because the law taught me what it means to covet. But at the same time that I was learning what it means to covet, the law was also convicting me that I am horribly covetous. Right? So the law shows us our sin. It reveals to us who we are. And so in many ways you could say, as Paul does, the law causes sin to abound, not because it is a source of sin, but because it reveals our sin. To use like an extremely current analogy, it's almost like saying that COVID numbers are going up because we've increased testing, right? Until the test takes place, before encountering the test, the disease isn't revealed. But once encountering the test, not only is the disease revealed, it's clear I have it, right? It's not just a knowledge thing, right? So, so that's kind of what's happening here. The law is in and of itself, it's like a diagnostic tool that, that examines our life and kind of flays us open and shows us who we really are. But then secondly, the law inevitably leads those who are enslaved to sin even deeper into sin, right? This is what I was talking about earlier with some of us, but really all of us, who have the propensity to break the rules sometimes, who have the propensity to be rebellious. We have all been rebellious in some form or fashion in our lives. And and when you encounter your sin through the law, you really only have two options. You can either repent or you can say, whatever, I do what I want to, right? Those are really the only two options you have. Either you turn from your sin or you go deeper into your sin. You go deeper into your rebellion. I've been told what is right and true and good, and I reject that to do what I want instead. And this is like classic human behavior, right? We, we see this all the way back in the garden. I know what is right and good and true. I know what's been asked of me. I know what I've been commanded to do, but I'm going to do something else instead. I'm going to choose my own path instead. If there is no law, if there are no rules, then there's nothing to rebel against. And then finally, the law condemns you to death. Because it reveals your sin, and because perhaps it pushes you deeper into sin, the law actually facilitates your undoing. The law is just. It doesn't condemn you without cause. right? You stand guilty when you encounter the law. But the only response, according to Scripture, is death. When we fall short of the perfection of God. So what's the problem here? Is the problem the law? No. The problem is me. It's us. So Paul's point is now through Christ, you've died to the law, right? This thing that you've lived under, this thumb that has been pressing down on you for your entire existence, this thing you never could live up to, that that really could only reveal to you your sin and, and, and perhaps push you deeper into sin and condemn you. You don't fall under its purview anymore. Look again at verse 6. 
He says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Having died to that which held us captive. What held you captive? Was it the law? No, it wasn't the law. It was sin. Sin is what held you captive. That is what Jesus has come to free us from, from sin and death. Look, continue verse 6, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Not just trying to adhere to what was on the page or to the letter of the law, but now we serve in a new way, and it's by the Spirit. So in many ways, Paul's presenting two different ways of life here, right? The old way, the way of the flesh, the way of slavery to sin, and the new way, the way of the Spirit, the way of slavery to Christ, the life released from the law. As we said last week, what's so fascinating about Paul's writing here is that he doesn't call us to, to like remove ourselves from slavery, right? He just calls us to remove ourselves from slavery to sin and, and to make ourselves slaves to Christ. And that's something that it's hard for us to like process that because we don't, we don't have an example of good slavery in today's world, right? But in the kingdom of God, in service to Christ, right? Kneeling at his feet, there is such a thing. And there is a master who desires your good and desires your flourishing. And who, if you like submit yourself to his yoke, he tells us his yoke is light, like that his burden isn't really much of a burden. So Paul's presenting two ways of life. The old way and the new way, or what he sometimes calls the old man and the new man. And this new way of life brings freedom and grace. And, and this is the key for us. It can be easy for us, living in America in 2023, for us to read all of this and think that it doesn't really apply to us because we're not Jews who had lived under the Mosaic law in any way. But, but the truth is we would be wrong if we think that this doesn't apply to us. Back in Romans 2, Paul said there's coming a day when God will judge the secrets of men, not some men, all men. There's coming a day when we will stand before the judgment seat of God and our lives will be laid open before him. And that's not just for Jews who've lived under the law, that's for all people. God judges the secrets of your life by his holy standard, right? He doesn't have some other metric, it, it's himself, right? When he looks at us, he's measuring us against himself. And hopefully, we all realize that if God is judging your life based on the merits of your life compared to his merits or to the merits of Christ, then we will all stand condemned, right? right? If, I'm being, if I'm being judged or measured, or if my eternity or my justification depends on my merits, my good works, my life, I will stand condemned. But if our faith instead is placed in Christ, then what Paul is teaching us is that we are released from the condemnation of sin. Right? We're, we're released from the repercussions of comparing ourselves to the law and finding out not only what sin is, but that we fall short. Through Christ, we're released from it. Jesus said He hadn't come to abolish the law, He's come to fulfill the law. And the merits of Christ through His sacrifice are transferred to us. They're attributed to us. His righteousness is given to us. As we become children of God, God doesn't judge us based on our merits anymore. We've been released from that. We're freed from that slave master. 
And instead, when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Have we earned that? No. Do we deserve that? No, 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 no. That's his point. He says this is a free gift. It's being handed to you. It's being laid on you. It's being given to you. And, and man, no matter how much some of us grasp that concept, actually living in that space of seeing this as something not only I didn't earn, but I could never earn, that's so difficult, isn't it? Because the rest of our existence is based on our earning, isn't it? Our careers, at home. Like we measure everything based on our ability to create and produce and do or not do or be disciplined. That's how we measure other people on our ability to work hard. And yet when we come to Christ, what we find is that I can't work hard enough. I can't be good enough. I can't be creative enough. I can't produce enough. And I stand condemned as a result. But then here's this good news embedded in that terrible news. And the good news is it's okay. Because you don't have to be enslaved to the master of sin and death. What Paul calls the law of sin and death. It doesn't have to rule you. And it certainly doesn't have to dictate who you become and what becomes of you. Instead, let me tell you about this other master, this good master, this good father who we are called to lay our lives before. Ultimately, Paul's getting to this point in chapter 8 where he says famously, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Notice that's a very specific group. That's an exclusive group. Some people struggle with that. We live in a world that pushes back against ideas of exclusivity, but yet the gospel itself is incredibly exclusive, guys. There is therefore now no condemnation, not for all people, but for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those whose faith is in Christ Jesus. He says, for the law of the Spirit of life, capital S, Spirit, the Spirit of God, the law of the Spirit, this new way that Paul says we're called to, the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. The law of Moses, that was the old covenant. That was the old way. But Jesus says that through His blood, a new covenant has been established. And it's a covenant that changes everything. It's a covenant that washes us clean, not based on our ability to follow it, but based on Jesus' ability to follow it. Jesus took on our sin and our death, the condemnation due us, so that we would no longer stand condemned. And if you say you believe that, if your faith is in that, the result should be fruit, right? The result of that should be transformation. It should be a changed life. You should be a different person than you were before. Not sinless. Paul doesn't claim to be sinless. But Paul says, I'm not who I used to be. Let me tell you who I used to be. Let me describe that old man for you, and then let me show you the new man. Right? Praise the Lord for what He has done for us through Christ. And may we today again resolve to dedicate the whole of our lives, our hearts, our resources, our money, our things, our families, the whole of our being to His purposes and His mission because He is our Master. 
He is the one we are called to submit ourselves to. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. Because without it, we are truly hopeless. We don't stand a chance. We thank you that through you we are offered a new way of life, a new future, a new family, a kingdom outside of this broken world. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. Renew our hearts today, Father, because we are weary. Uh, We are tired of this season. We're tired of the uncertainty in our world. We're tired of the brokenness that we're seeing. We're tired of the racial unrest and prejudice. We're tired of the violence we're seeing even in our own city. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. Come and make all things new. Come and set all things right. In the meantime, Father, inspire our hearts Lead us to devote all things to you. Grow our love for others so that we might serve our neighbors in the way that we have been served by Christ himself. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.